Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Greetings, Empathy Heroes. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 22. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for embracing empathy with me and for being a mental health awareness hero, which I know you are. So thank you for that. This episode, I chat with my friend Tony, the therapist. We explore the emotional and physiological impacts of sexual abuse. This is a follow-up episode to episode 21 uh, with my friend Christina, who shared her story quite courageously and beautifully uh, in, in her experience as a victim of ongoing sexual assault uh, and abuse. So go check that out. If you haven't listened to that episode, it really is a must listen. So go back and listen to that. Before I get to the show, before you start listening to the show, I just wanted to call out some new Patreon supporters. Woohoo! You guys are the best. Uh, Brittany, Corey, Morgan, Carol, Courtney, all new Patreon supporters for You Me Empathy. I am uh, elated and so uh, giddy and excited that that um, You Me Empathy is connecting with people and uh, you guys are supporting it. It, it means so much to me and I, I, I so appreciate it. My heart is warmed and it's swelling and uh, uh, I just, uh, it's just, uh, you guys are the best. I love you. And uh, so thank you for supporting You Me Empathy. You too, listeners, can support You Me Empathy if you, if you like at uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Empathy. It's a place where you can support the show on an ongoing basis and get some, uh, some fun rewards in return. Okay, that's it. That's all I'll say. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy this episode, episode 22, with Tony the Therapist on sexual assault. Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of Yumi Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our neuroses, our mental illnesses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic. 
and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being human. Yumi Empathy is a safe place, a conversation between friends, a place to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I am happy to embark on another empathy journey with my friend Tony Romaiki for Tony Time. Hey, no. Hey. How are you, buddy? I'm okay. How are you? I'm all right. That's good. Yeah. So today, today's episode is a follow-up to uh, my chat with my friend Christina. And I first want to just mention to the listeners that you need to go back and listen to that episode. It's uh, Christina it was very courageous and in opening up her heart and and sort of to me and i was just really in awe of of her story and just her bravery in telling her story and so it's it's a dark one you know there's there's a a trigger warning there Uh, we talk about some pretty dark stuff but um i think ultimately it was a it was a really healing um conversation and and christina is just someone i i i admire and 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 really care for so Go back, listen to that episode. Um, before we get into that, uh, Tony, uh, just remind the listeners who you are and uh, all that uh, mumbo jumbo stuff. That, all the mumbo jumbo. <laughs> so, so my name is Anthony Romaiki, but I do go by Tony as a nickname. Um, but my board knows me as Anthony Romaiki, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist here in the state of California. Uh, licensed through the Board of Behavioral Sciences, and that's license number LMFT 47805. And I'm also a certified sex addiction therapist through the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction uh, Professionals. And I have a private practice in Tustin, California. Great. I think that's everything. Yeah, awesome. I think, I think I've dotted my I's and crossed my T's. Are you enjoying doing that every uh, every Tony time? Uh, yeah, it's wonderful. I get to, you know reflect on my journey good that's good i'm you know, happy bring up the pain of grad school yeah. and tests and <laughs> board exams sounds terrible it's, it's quite the quite the wonderful reminder thank you for that you're welcome yeah anytime well I appreciate that well any actually, tony time every tony time any tony time it's true yeah. yeah well um listeners today we are going to talk about sexual abuse is is really the topic and and um you know, I don't mean to be so on the nose about that, but that's that's what uh, Christina and I mainly focused on and, and her experience with sexual abuse. And I guess my first question with Tony is, you know, what uh, what's your experience with that in terms of uh, your patient base? Yeah, I mean, definitely a fair amount. Um, and, you know, thinking about that podcast, which I, again, freshly listened to last night, you know, just, I think I feel like I just have to even get out is just wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and you had said it today already, but just courageous, what a courageous act. And, uh, you know, I just kept thinking that through the whole podcast and I, I was just, it was my second time going through it and I was just maybe even more into it the second time as I was listening to it again, just, you know, listening to Christina's story, hearing all that she went through. And, and I just threw, you know, I had so many different emotions Mm. going through listening to her history and her life. And, and, but the courage to talk about it, the bravery to talk about it and share her story. I, I was so impacted by, and, and I know the listeners will be as well. 
And it was just such an one, you know, inspiring of hope and obviously who she's become as a person and the work she's done and, and the fact that she's a survivor and, Absolutely. and you can, this is survivable and there's hope. And, um, and, and then also just all the other emotions. I mean, you know, I was, I had rage, I had anger, I had, yeah. I had sadness and tears and, you know, feelings of powerlessness and, um, it just, you know, I just, I think invoked so many different emotions in me listening to it. Mm. So, which I think stories like this do, I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, I, I think these, you know, these types of stories and, and just hearing about, you know, which again, if I reflect on, on my client base or a client base or, or anybody who's gone through this particular issue is, you know, that fundamental betrayal of a parent Right. You know, and granted, in this case, step parent, but in Christina's perspective, parent. Right. And um, and the you know betrayals that people go through or have gone through as a result of these, you know, primary caretakers in their inability to not only not caretake and not help the you know burgeoning self develop in such a way of safety mm-hmm. and connection. And instead have to develop, you know, in the fundamental relationships of their lives with, you know, fear and hypervigilance and, you know, disconnection or disassociation to survive. It's just, it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's so absolutely heartbreaking. It is the worst thing that can happen. It's like the worst thing. You are, like, I, I, you know, hearing her talk and her story, like, I... I'm with you. Like I'm experiencing all of the emotions, anger right. and sadness, and I want to cry and I want to protect her and I right. want to beat the shit out of her stepdad. You know, all these, right. all these emotions. And I, I think that's an important part of this is that um, it's totally natural to have all those emotions at once. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and be conflicted. Like even her, like experiencing this thing, like, and the, the things she did to just get through it and survive. Like right. there are so many, you know, sort of great, great. And then also like, you know, damaging emotional sort of things that she's, she's learning to just get through it and to have a parent put you through that. A child who has no real ability to uh, fight back or speak up or, or, has no option like it's so devastating and i i i just don't yeah it's it's interesting you know to you know knowing the child's perspective and not having a voice Mm -hmm. nor you know not having a voice nor having people around who are who are you know perceptive enough or or are either not paying enough attention to recognize what's happening so you know kind of that idea of who's going to rescue me from this i mean who You know, I can't. I mean, I'm, you know, in this case, you know, I'm the child. Right. So, you know, who is the person who's going to be able to, you know, rescue me from this absolute horrible nightmare um, that is occurring? It's just, uh, you know, the, the betrayal of innocence, the betrayal of of that, you know, parent-child bond. Um, it's so primary. It's, you know, such a broken primary relationship. And it's just, Yeah. Uh, just it's devastating. Yeah. So we, you know, when, how do you like, wh- how does, in your experience, when, when people have come to you and, and have experienced, have had experiences like this, what, 
how do they first bring it to you? What are, how are they positioning it? What, what is the sort of psychological sort of frame with which they like bring it to you? Cause I right. imagine it's, as we're saying with Christina, sure. it's, it's so brave to be able to like talk about that, yeah. you know, and it took her a long time to do that. So how, how has that been for your patients? Well, I think, you know, it's, you know, listening to Christina's stories, uh, story and having, you know, heard, you know, many others, um, you know, either, you know, personally, professionally, or through readings and, you know, various, you know, forms of channels of different forms of communication and just, you know, hearing all the ways in which, you know, people have experienced, you know, this type of, of, you know, early childhood trauma. It's, I think the thing more often than not, and, and I'm, I'm reflecting on Bessel's book again, you mm -hmm. know, which we reference here quite a bit. Um, the Might body keeps like the a score. first name basis with Bessel. Yeah, it's, now. it's you know Bessel. Uh, you know, Everybody we don't even Bessel. go by Mr. Vanderkolk anymore. No, that's it's just, right, just Bessel, Bess Bessie, Bessie, and uh, <laughs> you know, which I think his book does a wonderful job of of you know pointing out you know client presentation and this idea that you know it's either going to take the form maybe of a depression, hmm. uh, maybe chronic depression, you know, throughout a lifetime. Maybe it's chronic anxiety, you know, paired with chronic depression. It's oh, uh, a lifetime of maybe of just, you know, poor relationships, abusive relationships potentially, and or even addictions. You know, I, I see. I so think it's not like um, someone comes to you and says, I've been sexually abused. It's, it's, it's you sort of Right. Uncovering that over time. Right. Through, it's, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I think, again, it's not maybe that the person's not aware that they've been sexually abused. Right. It's generally that the adult presentation takes a different form. Sure. It generally takes the form of some other, you know, mental health based type of or relational based, you know, issue. And the presentation or the, you know, reporting issue is, you know, generally, again, you know, something, you know, otherwise clinical in nature, whether it's, again, you know, uh, chronic relational problems, a broken relationship, abusive relationships, why am I staying in abusive relationships, addiction, you know, a, a now a developed history of addiction. And, you know, I think early childhood attachment, you know, breaches, wounds, traumas, things of this nature, the, the you know, are, you know, set up those kind of foundational templates for, I think, some of these other clinical issues that we're talking about. And, Quite often, I would think most health health um, mental health practitioners would say that these are the type of presentations they're probably going to get in their office. Mm -hmm. And you know, so it's it's yeah. To your point, it's not going to be somebody generally coming in just saying, you know, that I was sexually abused and I want to work on that. When well, is that also part of like how they're dealing with it? Right? They like sure. you know. You know, obviously not having not gone through that experience, but I can maybe sort of empathize to a point where I feel like talking around it or, 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 you know, uh, sure. not being able to even just put it into words and admit to myself that it happened. Absolutely. Or even, you know, some, I imagine that it wouldn't be uncommon for somebody to even say, I didn't put two and two together. Yeah. You know, um, that's in this compartment over here, and I didn't know that was actually connected to this presenting issue. Oh, interesting. You know, it's so it's not a, a lack of knowing. It's just I didn't know. You mm -hmm. know, like I, 
didn't put two and two together, so to speak. And, and again, you know, it's not uncommon for, you know, years and years and years and years and years and years of history to pass before somebody may come in with a clinical presentation mm-hmm. and do work around that, you know, in which maybe these types of, again, early childhood traumas may be uncovered. And it's just, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's through the process of assessment, through the process of treatment that, um, you know, we'll, you know, it's possible to get to these underlying issues. And, um, but yeah, probably not going to be the surface presentation. When you, you know, when you get to a point with a patient and, and they do reveal that, what, what is your response? Well, I think in this particular case, you know, what I'm thinking of is you've just, you know, with that question is that how important it is to, to understand what it is that you're dealing with, I think, when somebody, you know, has uncovered this type of early childhood experience. And because I think it's it's going to be so foundational to to many aspects of life, you know, and, you know, and I'm certainly, you know, one of the big ones I'm thinking about is relational. Yeah, yeah. You know, trying to think about what would something like this do to, you know, to that person and their relational experiences forward. And mm-hmm. what would that, you know, so how has that person protected themselves, right? You know, how have they protected themselves? What is it they've done over their lifetime, perchance, to remain safe? And yet, attempt to be connected, you know, maybe attempt to have relationships. And in thinking about that, I just think, you know, trauma and trauma treatment, you know, again, whether it's, um, you know, through the wonderful book that, I, you know, obviously we just can't plug enough, but Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score or the work of Peter Levine and people who have done a lot of work around trauma and, and, you know, whether it's even in the form now of different theoretical orientations like we've, we've touched on, whether it's, you know, sensory motor, whether it's somatic mm-hmm. therapies, whether it's EMDR, whether it's um, some of these other, you know, trauma-based type of therapies, I think it's really important, um, you know, for people to get the appropriate type of training – or, I'm sorry, therapy relevant to – you know, interventions that are really going to help, you know, move them through maybe those early childhood traumas and really, you know, kind of broken attachment experiences. Because, I mean, you know, the, the if, if there's been that form of early childhood abuse, particularly from a caretaker, you know, a parent, and, you know, think about the impact, you know, that could have lifelong right. with, if you, you know, therefore, if you couldn't be safe with your parents, whom can you be safe with later right. in life? I mean, these are the people who were, you know, the people entrusted with everything about your, you know, growth and your, your mental well, mental well-being and your, you know, development of bonding and connection and safety. And if that's been, you know, fundamentally broken, um, you know, th- think about the adaptive process that would have to come with that in terms of how am I going to make myself better, right? You know? Right. I remember Christina talking about, you know, that she, you know, became a great student and she became, you know, kind of a high performance type of person. And, and, you know, I mean, again, I'm not going to draw the parallels to say that's directly, you know, correlated or related since she's obviously not my client and I've never treated her. But, you know, in just thinking about the different ways in which people might try and adapt to something to survive and get themselves through life, um, you know, could take, take various forms and, uh, you know. And potentially in worst case scenarios, you know, that might be abusive relationships and addiction and maybe even severe mental health. So. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I even said, like, um, you know, obviously I'm not a professional, but I said to Christina in that conversation that it made logical sense to me when she said, oh, I just, I realized that this environment, I was going to be put in that position that was terrifying and dangerous and, 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 traumatic and so i'm going to put myself in another environment and try to be there as often as possible that makes total sense to me yeah and you know as you and i have touched on through many of our podcasts you know the the essence of survival is is just always so shocking and surprising to me uh, in a a good way you know meaning the things we do to survive and to adapt and to cope through whatever it is that we've been challenged with and you know whatever you know types of traumas and you know horrible things that have happened to us and, and that we've gone through but survived and so whatever it is somebody may have adapted to survive I have the greatest amounts of compassion for and and when you know they can talk about those experiences again my understanding, my acceptance, my compassion for, you know, their survival and, and whatever form that may have taken is a, you know, kind of understandable, expected, you know, type of response. And looking back or, you know, sitting with the person in the, in the current and being able to think in terms of how to move them forward, understanding that, you know, you did what you had to do. Yeah. And if that might not work for you any longer. You know, that, you know, may have been, you know, a form of adaptation that you needed to survive whatever you had experienced. And at some point must have worked for you. You know, at some point there certainly must have been a very important reason that worked. It's just not working any longer. You know, it's, it's not allowing you to be the relationally healthy, connected person or, you know, um, you know, relationally satisfied person that you're longing to be and, and, you know, helping, you know, somebody get back to that place or get to that place maybe for the first time ever. Um, so it's, it's certainly gives you again, a a deep sense of compassion Mm -hmm. for whatever adaptive type of strategy somebody created to survive. Yeah. And, And I mean that survive. I mean, it's, you know, we, we go back to that here quite a bit and we talk about survival and the necessity of safety and the necessity of forming healthy attached relationships and that being such a cornerstone of, you know, healthy mental health. Yeah. Wow. Healthy mental health. <laughs> that works. All right. And if you don't have that, you know, you do what you can to you do make it you work. Can. You do what you can. You do. I mean, that's. You know, I, you know, my understanding of the work that I do, it's like people are doing what they could do. Yeah. And, and whatever it was, I don't care how maladaptive it now looks, it somehow served a big purpose and was important in survival and adaptation. And, um, you know, it's, you know, it's sometimes we do, you know, things that uh, might be hard to understand, but at some point it must have been really successful and helpful. Yeah. And we as people who who experience these things and I know that Christina had mentioned that she she experienced this as well is even if we know that, you know, retrospectively we know that we did this thing, you know, we operated in this way to survive, there's still um like a lack of kindness toward ourselves in that in the, in the, in the guilt and the self-hatred Talk talk about that sort of those components to sexual abuse or sexual trauma. Yeah, it's you know it's just so heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, I mean it's, and I think you know when I think of that, I think of just like the 
the damage to the soul, you know, that some of these early childhood experiences can bring somebody. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. I find it very fascinating that, you know, part of, I don't know if it's adaptation, um, you know, maybe partly, you know, and if you think about it from even kind of like a psychodynamically or object relations oriented kind of perspective, which maybe I'm sorry, lost on, on some people who are listening to this, but um, basically an understanding um, from kind of a post-psychoanalytic perspective, so post-Freudian therapy, where we started to really accept and understand what were what basically was the impact of early childhood relationships on psychopathology. Hmm. And what we started, you know, traditional psychoanalysis, you know, from my understanding, was very much focused on individual functioning, individual drives within the person. And and there were some, you know, psychosexual type of perspectives, obviously, particularly within Freudian psychology and so forth. But but even those were kind of kind of intrapsychically within the person kind of based. But later we started really starting to understand what were the what's the impact of our social settings and what's the impact of or and significance of our relational experiences. And through, you know, wonderful people, you know, like John Bobley and Mary Ainsworth, who ended up giving us attachment um, theory and um, you know, the different forms of attachment that we may experience and through, you know, work of, you know, Winnicott um, and his wonderful work and, and Margaret Mahler and, you know, all the way up now to a lot of the neuroscience work that we're doing and, and really understanding how the brain forms in, in context of, of social relational uh, experiences, the work of Dan Siegel and Alan Shore and, and many other great people who are really helping us understand the, you know, the fundamental significance and necessity of those early childhood experiences. And then again, if we add on the people of, you know, Bessel van der Kolk and, and Peter Levine and others who do trauma work and understanding, you know, the outcome for an individual, if there have been problems in those early attachment experiences and, you know, the way the brain can actually form around those things and the, you know, either, you know, move towards type of approach or move away move away type of approach that people could develop. Um, it's really fascinating again to understand how the how the brain and how that survival part of us is developed and the way, you know, structurally, so to speak, that forms within each one of us and creates, you know, some of the long-term problems, you know, that, that we're talking about in terms of psychopathology. So whether there's been a breach, you know, because of sexual abuse, whether there's been a breach because a parent was substance abuse, you know, it was abusing substances and addicted, whether there was mental health issues, whether there was a chronic threat of poverty, chronic mm -hmm. threat of violence, you know, anything that really potentially disrupted that early attachment, bonding, safety, connective, nurturing, attuned type of experience. Um, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that, you know, we can potentially uh, create all kinds of adaption, uh, adaptations. Um, and survival-based functions to, well, basically do just that to, you know, survive and, and, and whether, you know, adaptation that requires, you know, I'm thinking, you know, my back's kind of been tweaked the last couple of weeks. And I really need to get into to the chiropractor. And now I'm kind of feeling it, you know, in my hip and, mm. you know, even my knee was hurting earlier this week. And it's interesting because, 
if, if in fact this actually started in my back, but you know, now that it's kind of trickled its way all the way down, you know, my, you know, mus muscular skeletal system, um, you know, it's, it's kind of really impacted on my whole system. Yeah. And it's probably mm. because I'm walking different or I'm leaning different. Yeah. And you have a slight imbalance. I have a slight and imbalance and I'm favoring it. I'm and favoring it. Yeah. So therefore I'm kind of getting the rest of my body kind of out of alignment. And, you know, I kind of see it like that. It's like there's mm. this initial injury or, or wound that occurs. Interesting. And, you know, we adapt emotionally and psychologically and then, you know, the, the whole system over time somewhat becomes out of balance, but we just kind of keep it, you know, like, well, I'll just carry the shoulder a little higher, Yeah, you know, I'll just, yeah. you know, lean and, and this is all unconscious, right? I mean, this isn't, right. we're not choosing right. to walk um, or lean this particular way. It's just happening. Right. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I've now it's, you know, f from my shoulder all the way down to my knee, you know, <laughs> hasn't got to the ankle or the foot yet, but uh, probably if I wait another couple of weeks, it will. So I, you know, I find that very similar, you know, kind of as a metaphor. Hmm. That That's helpful to me actually, because I've been in that position myself where I've had injuries and I've, I, you know, to, to sort of work through the pain. I'm like, do people know you're like a, you were like a high level soccer player? Do they know what a soccer stud you were? <laughs> Have you ever? This isn't you, me, soccer. This is you, me, soccer. Okay. This is you, me, empathy. In case the listeners didn't know, he was quite the soccer player. I played soccer for many years. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I've had many, many injuries in my right. life and, and, and have been in a place where I've felt pain and therefore I'm favoring one side and then that can impact other areas. That makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, cause it, the mental stuff, the unseen, right. it's hard to yeah. have a frame of mind to, or, or just like a, a, a framework to understand how things impact us. Right. Right. And so that's helpful. Yeah. Cause you know, I think again, you know, so much of this is happening out of our awareness, you know, we're, we're not consciously making choices to say, um, well, you know, I think an anxiety disorder here would work really well. So I think I'm going to go ahead and create, you know, a worry based fear based system. Um, you know, it's, that would be interesting. Right. If we reacted that way. Right. We do not. Yeah. And we do not it, but it shows up. Yeah. And, it, uh, you know, as does, you know, maybe a depression, um, as does, you know, maybe even substance use and, and maybe alcohol use and maybe overspending or maybe indulging in sex and, you know, thinking at first, like, oh, this kind of helps, you know, when I go to that party and I've had a couple drinks before I get in or, or maybe once I'm, I'm there, I'm a little more social and maybe I'm not thinking about the stress of the week or maybe I'm not thinking about the pain I'm kind of experiencing or depression or anxiety. And then, you know, it's fairly easy to want to slip into that again, maybe at another time and do the same thing. And, you know, that becomes, you know, chronic enough, you know, you potentially could adapt, you know, a, a you know, a dependence, you know, and or addiction. And, um, you know, when that happens, it, you know, we never know. And it's virtually, you know, very different for every person. But again, it starts off as something very innocent. You know, it doesn't start off of like, hey, I want to grab this beer. And I really hope in two years, I'm a full blown, you right. know, alcoholic, because right. that would be awesome. Um, you know, it just starts off as, well, it was really great. You know, that beer really made, made me feel good. It just alleviated a lot of pain. Um, I, th I feel like now we're starting to see a lot of that with video gaming and gaming in general. What do you mean? Uh, just the same thing, you know, it's just how enjoyable it is to sit down and lose yourself maybe in a game oh, or, or even lose yourself in the internet and uh -huh. just check out, 
uh-huh, you know, completely uh-huh. just lose yourself. I know, you know, I sat down with the internet and had one thing specifically I'm searching for. <laughs> and three hours later, I'm in, you know, automotive repair of a, you know, 66 Chevy Nova. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I'm like, I was looking up, you know, does fluoride, you know, actually exist in our water or something? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And, and, you know, all of a sudden I'm so far away and, and I feel like it's been 20 minutes and it's, you know, been two hours and I've just completely zoned out and checked out and I just wasn't present. I mean, simply wasn't present. And, and I think, you know, people are finding themselves doing and spending more time in those types of behaviors, disconnecting and being very much in a different you know, almost kind of just a very disconnected type of experience, almost somewhat dissociative. Um, and it's a place where we're not feeling, right? If you're spending three, four, five hours in a game, you're not self-connected, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're not in a place of self-awareness. Um, you know, you're very much in a very, very different place. So so disassociating, uh, disconnecting, uh, those you would say are common coping mechanisms or symptoms of someone who's experienced a trauma like sexual abuse? Certainly can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, certainly one of the things that somebody can adapt. Um, What are some others? um, I mean, uh, you know, uh, compulsive use of substances or shopping or spending, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that, that may take us out of, you know, our present current mood and and put us into a different mood state, Mm -hmm. something that could serve to numb, something that could serve to um, give us a form of escape. And, uh, you know, fantasy can be used for that as well. And, you know, and that fantasy can take many forms. I mean, losing ourselves in our own thoughts, um, you know, losing ourselves in chronic daydreaming, you know, it can even take that form. It can, you can lose yourself in a book, right? You can lose yourself in fantasy. You can lose yourself in a great piece of fiction. You can lose yourself in gaming, as we've talked about, and and substances. You know, substances, obviously, um, drugs. I mean, we have such an opiate, you know, um, abuse occurring in our nation at this point. It's, you know, I've been reading and, you know, different different articles on that. And it just seems like what a severe health crisis we have is it, it's mm. relating to opiates and um, and death. And I don't have the statistics, but I was reading some recently and I was just shocked and floored at the opiate, you know, epidemic. So, I mean, prescription drugs. I mean, you know, we're yeah. talking about the actual pres- prescription drugs. Um, you know, I, I hear anecdotally, so I don't know if it's accurate, but I hear, you know, heroin's on the rise. Uh, which would make sense because, you know, I hear that people can switch from the prescription pains, painkillers to heroin if it's certainly cheap enough. I mean, this is an anecdote, obviously, right. but that's what happened to Harris Whittles. Um, oh, that's right. You know, he yeah. went from opiates and, you know, was he was basically said to his sister, Stephanie, who wrote this amazing book called Everything is Horrible and Wonderful. You should absolutely read. Uh, he said basically opiates um, – he just was having to take so yeah. much of them, and yeah. they were expensive, and heroin was cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you hear. And um, it's just I, just horrible, you know? I mean, you know, once people, you know, um, make some of those transitions, just knowing the depth of their addiction, you mm-hmm. know, and just knowing the severity of it. And it's just such a, you know, powerful drug, obviously, um, you know, as are others. Um, but, you know, and even so getting back to disconnection, disassociation, and there's various levels of dissociation, I mean, you know, and very various forms that it can take. Well, some so. some of it, would you say some of it is a value? Oh, It's abs- just about balance, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, – right, exactly. I yeah. Mean, a lot of it's about balance and, 
And to what degree? To what degree? Yeah, yeah. Do we do something like this? I mean, I think we all do it. I mean, have you ever driven down the street and you're like, where was I that last mile? (laughs) Sure. You know, you're like. But I, you know, I love to get lost in a book, right? And there's value in that. But, you know, there's there's balance and to what degree as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, with anything, I think what we're always looking for clinically is, you know, is there an impact to your life based upon how much use you're doing Mm. with anything, you know, whether it's. You know, book reading and, you know, if you are no longer getting up to go to work because you can't get out of your book or you're failing other, you know, normal social basic responsibilities in your life, you're not cooking, you're not cleaning, you're not, you know, grooming or there's failures in your relationships because you're choosing not to participate, you know, Mm. and you're spending all your time and, you know, again, gaming, internet, book reading, Um, this can take so many different forms, but, you know, we Again, how much of something, right? You know, how much of something is somebody doing? Um, but I think even disassociation initially is a very, you know, not healthy thing. It's it's something that a lot of people have required and needed, particularly in the face of early childhood trauma, mm-hmm. where there's been, you know, abuse of some form that's happening. And maybe their way to survive and to cope with what, what was happening to them was, you know, disassociation, disconnection. Again, you know, Anecdotally, you hear about people who have experienced, you know, you know, rape and or, you know, a wartime type of scenario. And they even talk about like, I was out of my body. Like, I don't even right, know where I right. was. That was somebody else that that was happening to. That wasn't right. me. And again, certainly that is the brain creating a way for that person to survive what's happening to them. Yeah. And it's kind of like. I am going to completely check out of this so I can keep living because otherwise what's happening to me is greater than my ability to manage it. Right. And, you know, and ultimately that's trauma, you know, that, that something has happened to me that's greater than my ability to, to be able to cope and to understand and accept what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so again, it's, it's part of our built-in defense mechanisms. It's mm-hmm. part of our survival, you know, part of that part of us that allows us to survive these horrible things. Um but if we don't get the opportunity to heal through that post the experience, that's, again, where something like this can become a chronic condition. And that's what you hear about when you think about post-traumatic stress disorder um, and, again, where you know substance abuse or other forms of addiction might be comorbid with that. And certainly where a um, anxiety-based and or depressive-based type of clinical presentation can also be present with something like that as well. So, But it's, again, very survival-based. How do you heal after an experience like that? Something that Christina experienced? Yeah, wow. Um, I know it's, I know it's, everyone is different, but what are some of the sort of broad strokes that maybe you have worked on with some of your clients? Yeah, it's such a great question. It's in, you know, you're right. I mean, so many things kind of flooded into my mind um, in thinking about, you know, people who are having to deal with, you know, a trauma based, early childhood, you know, uh, experience and, and thinking that, you know, really kind of reflecting back on maybe some of the other interventions that we've kind of talked about, you know, where EMDR can be potentially very helpful, where um, somatic-based interventions and therapy can be so helpful, where people can get back to, um, you know, sensory-based, where it's you know, as again, as Bessel will talk about and the other people will talk about, it feels like there's a lot of movement in the area of trauma treatment that is moving away from um, 
I think what it was maybe 20, 15, 20 years ago and earlier where you've got to get somebody to talk about their trauma. You know, mm, you've mm-hmm, got to get them mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, go back and process and reprocess until there's not the impact of their experiences any longer. And, and I think, you know, again, Bessel does a great job in his book, The Body Keeps the Score, and in, in knowing that, you know, thank goodness, research appears to be showing that that's not the most effective form of treatment. It might even be re-traumatizing. And instead, it might be some of these other, you know, or potentially they're getting good uh, benefits from other forms of interventions that are helping people learn to be present today with themselves. It's it's helping them reconnect with themselves in the present. Mm. And helping them build a part of themselves, um, you know, kind of an internal, you know, internal resourcing, if you will, of their ability to be um, connected to themselves in such a way where um, it's not overwhelming, you know, like it was. Or there's not the information, you know, inside of themselves that they weren't connected to as they were before. Because, again, part of this disconnection or dissociation is losing that connection with yourself. So, you know, bringing that back in and learning to, you know, trust your intuition, you know, being able to trust that this is a creepy person or being able to trust your intuitions of, I shouldn't be touched here or I shouldn't be treated this way and allowing them to know that intuitively inside of themselves to be able to set healthy boundaries. I, you know, I think people who have experienced this type of early trauma, you know, can potentially have a very difficult time being able to be, you know, self-connected and self-aware enough to know um, this doesn't feel right for me and I don't want to accept this. Yeah. And or to be able to set healthy boundaries, you know, to, to be able to say this is not okay for me and I won't accept this. And to have that permission, you know, we've talked about that, that kind of empowered place of having a voice to be able to have permission to be self-protective. Yeah. You know, to have permission to be able to say I can say no, you know, or I can leave this situation. I don't have to stay here. Um, I can do something different. I can be empowered. I can be assertive. And, you know, I think some people even take, you know, karate classes and self-defense classes, you know, to feel empowered, to feel. It's pronounced karate. Karate. Pardon me. (laughs) I don't really know. My faux pas. Um, But just, yeah, these really cool things to just really, I think, help people, you know, feel um, empowered and self-connected. And we've talked about mindful-based, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. activities quite a bit, which I think is a huge part of this. Um, psycho- psychopharmological interventions can potentially be helpful as well, you know, through an evaluation and assessment with a, a qualified psychiatrist. And, and, and potentially psycho- medication? And potentially medication, yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, as well as, you know, traditional psychotherapy, which is, um, again, the potential for a, you know, relationally based experience in which the person can find um, safety and validation for their experiences and, um, and help them, you know, get in touch with, it seems so helpful at times when people get to be seen, Mm -hmm. heard, particularly because they weren't and to be able to, be able to normal, you know, to be able to sit with somebody and normalize and validate their pain or their hurt or the fact that they weren't seen or that they weren't rescued or going back to something you talked about earlier, which was, this wasn't my fault. Right. You right. know, like I was a child. Right. This, you know, what happened to me was not my responsibility. I was not complicit in this. Um, I don't, 
you know, there's no accuracy to this. I do not need to carry that belief with me, which is very difficult to, to, to heal, by the way. I mean, it takes time. Um, but it's to have somebody, you know, again, be able to validate, normalize, and to be able to give permission to um, those things that, you know, as a child, they didn't get. Right. You know, they didn't get and unfortunately carried, you know, potentially many inaccurate thoughts and statements and beliefs that, you know, can also play a huge part in, in you know, some of these other manifestations that we've talked about, you know, mm-hmm. guilt, shame, uh, which certainly can lead to anxiety-based, depression-based type of, of disorders. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Mm. But again, there's hope. There is hope. You know, and it's, you know, we always talk about that here, you know, that, that there's, there's, I mean, that's why we do this podcast, right? I mean, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's about that bringing hope to people to understand that, um, yeah, there's resources. We're right? listening. We're listening. We resources, hear you. And that, um, and again, I, I was thinking about that with Christina's, um, you know, podcast and just thinking like, wow, like what potentially is her courage bringing other people who maybe have not yet, you know, started their work on this or, or, you know, um, are wondering about, you know, I just, I was just so thankful again of, of her courage and her ability to talk so openly and take such a vulnerable risk in, in sharing this with, with, with you and our listeners and, um, just what a wonderful thing, to even help other people who might potentially know somebody or, or might be dealing with this themselves. Right. So, it's so, a, so yeah. thankful for that. I'm, I'm very thankful for that, for that. And I, I, um, it's just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful perspective to have to, you know, experience the thing and then have the courage to speak about that thing in, in, in the hopes of, and I know Christina has this, yeah. in the hopes of helping others yeah. and, and, and creating that Absolutely. potential connection for others to maybe make one positive step forward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what a just, what a just absolutely um, wonderful thing that, again, just must have taken so much courage and so much bravery and, um, and you know, and risk and... Um, but I'm just, yeah, so thankful for her and and what she was willing to share. Good job, Christina. Yeah, yeah, great job. <laughs> and listeners, if you haven't, again, if you haven't listened to that episode, or, or even if you have, go back and listen to it. Uh, just a tremendous story. And, um, yeah, just reiterating that. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, you know, I've had the opportunity now to go through it twice and, and just I'll probably go through it again. I mean, I mean, honestly, I think it's just such a... I mean, I just, there was so much there. I feel like, you know, I, I want to give it even more um, experience and by listening to it again. And just, because I think, you know, I'm going to, I pick up different things at different times, obviously, depending on where I'm at. And, sure. And there's just so much there, but just, yeah, really amazing. Cool. Well, um, I think that that is good for this episode of Tony Time. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, again, go back, listen to that episode with Christina. And uh, just remember that there's hope, that there are people out there that have stories like yours and you have the ability and capacity to take that, take that step forward. And 
even though it um, it can be difficult and it will, um, there are people in your life that will help you through it. Absolutely. So um, I guess that's it. I want to thank Tony for being here. Always my pleasure. Thank you, Noan. You're very welcome. All right. And as always, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Mm-hmm.